Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi everyone, it's Rena, and today we are talking about the power of our mind to transform our lives, to create matter, literally. And my guest today is Dr. Dawson Church. Hi, Dr. Dawson, welcome. Rena, it is so good to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, little background for those of you who are listening to this on a podcast please note it's also a video interview so you can of course always access it on health boot camps please note there'll be a lot of links and information shared in the show notes so when you do get a chance check out the post once we do release this interview with that said let me introduce dr dawson church who is brilliant a maverick a transformative genius he's an award-winning author whose best-selling book the genie in your genes was hailed viewers as a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotions and genetics. He then followed up with the title Mind to Matter, and this is going to be a masterclass interview on Mind to Matter, which reviews the science of peak mental states. I can't wait to talk about the state of flow because that is where we all need to be to live our amazing lives that we are supposed to. He also founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare, and he's implemented promising evidence-based psychological and medical techniques. His groundbreaking research has been published in prestigious scientific journals. He's also the editor of Energy Psychology Theory, Research, and Treatment. Dr. Dawson, welcome again. Rena, again, it's wonderful to be here, and I just love sharing this information. I'm wildly passionately excited about these new healing breakthroughs. I'm so glad to have the ability to share them with your community. Thank you. So let's get started with the introduction. The metaphysics meets science. What is that after all of that? <laughs> well, it's so funny because uh, I have always been a person who had a deep sense of inner purpose and meaning and felt very connected to the universe. When I was about 15 years old, I had this, this transformative experience. I just felt one day, I, I was very depressed, very lonely, uh, very socially isolated when I was, I was a kid. I remember once walking past a, a, a big full-length mirror in a hotel when I was 15 years old and looking at my face, and I looked at my own face, 15 years old, teenager, and I, I, my voice in my head said, that's the saddest face I've ever seen. I, mean, I, was, I was toxically depressed and miserable, and I had a pretty rough childhood and a lot of challenges growing, growing up, so that's where I was. And I had this transformative experience one day when I suddenly felt the universe was full of love and loved me. Wow. And I, I just wow. was aware of this, and it, it, it completely changed my life. I joined a spiritual community. I began to study the great tradition, the great masters. And I've always found that having mystical experience is, is very natural. And in fact, every spiritual tradition, every great philosophy culminates in mysticism. And these are people who have direct experiences, what I call in the book, non-local mind. But it's also wonderful that we have the ability of science to demonstrate things and measure things. So I just approach both worlds, both mysticism and, and science with, with delight and, and see them, them as being 
two halves of, of the same coin. And in, in the introduction to the book, I talk about one of the many experiences I've had uh, that was really just freaky, just blew my mind. And what had happened was when uh, one, uh, I was doing a writing retreat in Hawaii, I was in the southern uh, tip of the island of Kauai, mm -hmm. and there's a beautiful beach there called Loai Beach. And mm -hmm. so each day in my writing retreat, I would, um, I would leave the condo for a little while. I'd drive to some beautiful spot. I would leave all of my snorkeling or diving gear in the back of the, the, the Jeep I'd rented. I'd go out for a swim, snorkel around for an hour or two, and then go back and write some more. And when I got back from that particular trip, I'd left the water, walked over to the, the, the Jeep, put my hands in my pocket, and the keys weren't there. Not only were the Jeep keys not there, the condo keys were, were clipped to there. So I couldn't get into my condo, couldn't yeah. get into my Jeep. So I thought, no big deal. I'll just, uh, I'll just go back and walk through, sit through the sand. I'm sure I'll find them. Didn't find them. Eventually, I, I, I began to go back in the water. I swum, but it's, it's a huge bay. It's like, you know, maybe a quarter mile long, quarter mile deep. And it, there was all this, all this coral about 10, 12 feet down. And here I was searching for two little keys on a key ring in this massive expansive ocean but i just kept myself regulated i kept practicing the techniques of the book feeling a sense of gratitude and centering and um after an hour though it was getting dark and it was obviously a fool's errand so i as i was swimming back there was a father and three little three boys three teenage boys who just entered the water for a quick swim before sunset and my intuition just prompted me to swim over to them and I, I said to the this group of four four men, I said, I see you guys have been swimming around here. Did any of you by any chance find anything on the bottom? Wow. And the youngest boy held up my keys. Oh my now, God. There are so many synchronous experiences like that that I've had in my life. And it makes me aware that if we live trapped into our small, limited human selves, and what I call the local mind, mm -hmm. we have only a fraction of the experience we could have. But when we, when we let go of that clinging to local reality and we merge with the universe, with, with that mystical state, with non-local mind, then we have access to information that we just don't have when we're, we're stuck down here at the level of local mind. So I open the book with, with that story. And what's a non-local mind? Non-local mind is the universal field of consciousness and intelligence. And I, I show in the book that our brains are transceivers of this non-local mind. And it, it's, it's aware, it's conscious, and it's creating the world in various ways. Mm -hmm. And the example I use, uh, there's a wonderful field of science called emergence. And emergence is the study of the spontaneously arising order that comes out of complex systems. And examples, key examples are flocks of birds. In one of the videos I have in the, in the book, I uh, have a link at the end of each chapter to a bonus page where you can go and watch videos, get lists of people, do all kinds of interesting things that I can't do on a page. And so uh, one of the links there is to a four minute video of a flock of starlings. In this flock, there are four million birds Four million of these tiny little birds, these starlings, and Rena, they are all moving in synchrony. There's oh, wow. no conductor. They aren't electing a president to say, you know, I think we'll fly left now, all right? <laughs> there, there are no direction signals there. And yet they're able to emerge. And I, what I ask people in my live workshops, what I challenge people with in the book is, do you think that that happens all over nature? 
and doesn't happen for you, <laughs> that's the yeah. that's not local mind. That's the universal consciousness, and we can yeah. learn to shift ourselves from this focus in, in local mind to non-local mind. What happens in our brains then, it's really interesting. Our prefrontal cortex is part of the brain right in front of the, the, the frontal lobes over here. It goes quiet. Mm -hmm. And what I do when I hook people up to EEGs and measure their brain activity, when they tune into non-local mind, mm -hmm. all the parts of the brain that have to do with my, me, mine. I am a man. I live in mm -hmm. California. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing a black shirt. I am, you know, blah, 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 blah. All this, this, this story about who we are, that part of the mind goes, goes quiet. And the part of the mind that has to do with happiness lights up. So you're losing yourself in the state of bliss. I also talk about the neurotransmitter changes that happen in your brain and the hormones in your body. So you have floods of this bonding hormone, oxytocin. You have huge rises in your basic cell communication and cell repair hormone, DHEA. Your stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol drop. And then you have these neurotransmitters in your brain like the reward neurotransmitter, serotonin, and, and dopamine, those, those start to shift the, the amounts they have and where they're acting in the brain. And this one molecule called anandamide, the bliss molecule, mm. is, it, it increases tremendously in the brains of people who are doing this. So when you are having this expanded experience of being part of non-local mind, when you're, limit, when, you're, when you're letting go of your limited human self and, and blending, just the yeah. way those four million starlings do, your life is synchronous. You find your yes. keys. You find your soulmate. You find yes. where you're going in your life. You live with passion. You wake yes. up every morning and say, universe, yes. what miraculous yes. thing you bring me today. I can't yes. wait to find out. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I have lived through this. Yes, it's the most beautiful experience. You know, like you, um, I thought it was a freaky experience because I've been meditating now for two years. It was one of the step ones and really me getting my health back was getting this under control. That's right. And, and, does that that's exactly it i you know my my children now now laugh and and joke about this but i'll get free drinks at starbucks or i'll i always find the most amazing parking spot always and it's become a big joke like always drive with mom because she gets the parking spot <laughs> right in front always you are right. It's interesting how when you are plugged into the universe, the universe is just out there giving things to you. It's just this life of abundance. It's amazing. And it's not that hard to get there. So, um, so I can't wait to get into the next chapters where you're going to share more about how some of our listeners and viewers can get into that state of, all right, chapter one, how our brains shape the world. What is the essence of that chapter? We used to think in science that the brain grew till the age of about 17, 18 years old, and then was static our whole lives after that. But with the discovery of neural plasticity, first of all in the 1960s, and then later on rediscovery in the 80s and 90s, that we began to realize that our brains are changing, and often they're changing radically and rapidly. And so the old model of the static brain has given way to a new model of a dynamic brain the work of Nobel laureate uh, Eric Kandel showed that if you pass a signal through a bundle of neurons over and over and over again for an hour, that the number of synaptic connections, the number of connections in that neural bundle can double in one hour. Wow. So what I point out to people is that your brain is not static. As you use your brain, as you use neural circuits, you literally increase them. 
Now, this is wonderful if you're learning to play the piano, you're learning Italian, you're learning to relate to your husband or your wife or your new child or your dying parent or whoever it is. If you're learning a new skill, it's powerful, but there's a dark side to it. And the dark side is that if you have signals passing through the circuits that are carrying the signals of anxiety, of fear, of anger, of resentment, of guilt, of blame, of shame, of negative emotions, mm. those are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. Uh, according to the World Health Organization and the NIMH in the US, depression lasts about eight months. The average course of depression lasts, you go into depression and you come out again. Anxiety as well. People can get anxiophobic and they often do recover. Mm. PTSD, they don't. With PTSD, they often get worse and worse and worse. And like in our nonprofit called the Veterans Stress Project, we treat veterans with PTSD. We get calls from husbands and wives and daughters and sons and parents of veterans who say that things like, you know, my, my husband got back from Vietnam in, in 72, and mm. here it is more than 40 years later, and he's getting crazier. What do I do? Can I, how can I help? Because if you're passing those signals through the circuits that govern hypervigilance and flashbacks and nightmares and avoidance and all the symptoms of PTSD, you get worse and worse. One of the, the, the guys who really helped me get EFT into the VA, EFT is this, this, this technique we use to treat PTSD. And um, he, was, he got back from Vietnam in 1972 and he swore he didn't have PTSD. He said, I said I'm fine. And he looked fine on the outside. Hmm. In 1996, okay, this is 30 years later, he woke up one night and he had his hands around his wife's neck and he was strangling her in his sleep. At that point, he said, I think I have a problem. <laughs> he went into the VA, uh, we treated him with EFT, he learned heart math, another great method, and he recovered fully. But that's, that's the insidious thing about negative thinking, negative emotions, catastrophizing, all of those things. If you're passing that signal, through those neural circuits over and over and over again, your brain is changing. So I, that's why I, I really urge people to learn techniques like meditation, like EFT, because you then kick in positive neural plasticity. And the case history I have in chapter one, Rena, this case, when I read this case history, I wanted to tell the world, it was so remarkable that um, it just absolutely stunned me. So I tell the story in chapter one of a, of a really skeptical, journalist. His name was Graham Phillips. <clears throat> he was an astrophysicist, but he, he worked as a TV journalist. He didn't believe in any of this woo-woo stuff <laughs> that you and I talk about at all. He was a hard-bitten, he was a manly man. He was a, mm -hmm. a, a, a we, we call him in the UK a rugger-bugger, guy, guy, guys, guys who play rugby. Um, he was a sports person mm -hmm. and rugged individualist, but he learned about, he heard about meditation. So he said, I'm going to take an eight week meditation course. And because he was a TV journalist, he did it all on TV and he went into the local university and they gave him a comprehensive battery of tests, including MRIs. And they measured all the different parts of his brain, the different lobes of his brain, the different substructures within each part of his brain. They mapped his brain comprehensively with an MRI. Mm -hmm. And so that was day one. Then in two months, eight weeks later, we went back into that same university, Monash University, and they did a second set of tests with him and a second brain scan, a second MRI, and they found, taking a sip of water here for, for dramatic yes. effect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they found. And they found. And they found. Few suspense music. <laughs> they found changes in his brain in just eight weeks, and the part of the brain that had grown the most 
It's called the dentate gyrus, and it governs emotional regulation across different areas of the brain. So if you have a, a big, bulky dentate gyrus and a lot of information flow in that, then you don't get, don't get triggered by other drivers on the road or by things your colleague says or by your wife or your husband or your daughter or wh whoever it might be in your life. So you're much calmer if you have the ability to regulate your emotions. Regulating your emotions is the key to happiness. If you aren't, gonna, if you aren't hijacked, by negative emotions or even positive ones, then yes. you have a, have a stable life. Yes. They found Graham Phillips's brain. They found that in eight weeks, his dentate gyrus grew by twenty-two point eight percent. Wow! In eight weeks, that's how fast our brains are remodeling themselves in response to our minds, our consciousness. When we change our consciousness, we literally change the hardware of our bodies. And how old was he at the time? He was around 45, late 40s. Yeah, so I'm older than that. So that means I still have hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> because one of the challenges, Dawson, we face is people think, well, gosh, I'm too old now. And our, I think our society kind of feeds into that. You know, those of you who've heard my interviews, you know that's what I was told over and over again. Like, get over it, lady. You're getting older. Deal with your symptoms. Like, don't be a whiny baby about this. What do you expect? And I'm so encouraged when I hear stories like this where you say, no, it was a middle-aged man who was able to dramatically improve his quality of life simply from a six weeks or eight weeks or however long a different person might take of meditation. And how often do you think he meditated? He was doing daily mindfulness and meditation. So he was really practicing that uh, sincerely. Okay. So how long do you long. think in a given day, though? Uh, how, how, how long many hours? hours meditations? Yeah. What I find, I've done a lot of EEGs of people meditating, and we mm -hmm. find that it takes them a certain amount of time to learn that kind of mm -hmm. calm state, and then they drop in. So uh, there's, there's, there's acquiring the state. And what matters is less how long you meditate than how long it takes you to drop yes. into that state. Yes. And so um, that's when the meditation really, really starts. For me, when I was meditating, initially, it took me about 40 minutes to drop in, okay. and then I might have had 20 minutes of real meditation. But now we've refined these techniques and we, we have them all online. And now we get people there. Like I, I have large groups. I teach people at Esalen and uh, Omega, the New York Open Center. I teach at all these, these teaching institutions. And we sit them down. We have them close their eyes. They go through a set of mechanical instructions, mm -hmm. telling their body to do various postures, breathe in a certain rhythm. And we know within 90 seconds, on the first day, one and a half minutes on the first day, they're there. There's a, a lady wow. who emailed us uh, last week. We, we put up her, uh, her email up on our website. Just a beautiful story. She, her name is Tony Tomlinson, and she said, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm a mom with, with kids. I just, I have no time. I try to meditate. I've, I've always failed. And uh, I sat down to do your meditation, and my mind said, Tony, you're just wasting your time. You've never been able to get to that state. You won't be able to do it now. And she said, I just began to do the breathing you recommend. And suddenly, my heart was full of bliss. My eyes filled with tears. And I was there. And then she said, I'm going to do this every day. And that's what I want to do is inspire people with a simple meditation method to spend just a little while. So it takes you just 90 seconds to be in this deep, deep state. And then... Uh, I, I recommend at least 15, 20 minutes, if you have time, 40, 45 minutes, but at least 15 or 20 minutes to stabilize yourself and to start that process of neurogenesis. You're now building yes. your emotional regulation capacity. Yes. You're building 
good things in, in your brain, in your mind, in your body, so that you're resilient, you have the ability to handle life's challenges, and you aren't just at the, the whim of fate. And that you're able to enjoy the beauty of life, because sometimes, yes. you know, our daily life gets in the way of truly enjoying life. So I do the uh, Shambhavi Mahamudra, which is Sadhguru's 21-minute meditation, and bam, at the end of 21 minutes, I'm happy and blissful and giggling and I can feel the love around me and I can hear music and no, I'm not crazy. Um, it's, it's so beautiful. I don't know why more people don't do it. So how can we get more people to do it before we dive into the next chapter? Do you have some links we can share? Are there audio downloads? Tell us yes. about access. People don't do it because it's hard. When, I, when you were reading my bio and mentioning things that I've, I've done, I thought, I should also include in that bio, failed meditator. Because I learned to meditate when I was 15 years old, and I was never very regular about my practice or very successful. It was, it was just hard. Like uh, at, in the meditation center, when I was learning meditation at 15, the, the teacher said, meditation is simple. All you do is you sit down in this posture, and you still your mind. And I'm like, still my mind? Are you crazy? How, <laughs> still my mind. What a and joke. In my 60s, I've never that's been able classic. to still my mind. So that, that's why people that meditate, they, sit, they, they close their eyes, sit, sit there, and thoughts flood into their minds. So what I did was I, I designed about 10 years ago, I designed a really simple meditation called eco meditation, ECO meditation. And I teach that in, in, in the book Mind to Matter. I also have links to the website. Okay. Also, there's a wonderful app called Insight Timer. It's the world's biggest meditation app. And I have many meditations on Insight Timer that guide you through eco-meditation. But it has seven really simple steps to it, and they're mechanical. They do not involve stilling your mind. They do not involve, in, they do not involve believing in anything or taking a course or having any kind of religious orientation. They're just mechanical things you do with your body. So it turns out if you just do, do certain things with your certain muscle groups in your body, you enter this very, very deep state, the same physiological state as a master meditator. So you're mimicking the physiology of a master meditator. And it turns out when you do that, mimic it, you're there in 90 seconds. So wow. at Esalen, you know, for example, the workshops, we will measure people with an EEG. And the, on day one, they're there in 90 seconds. By day two or day three, they're there in under 30 seconds. And then meditation is really effective. So you do, just do 20 minutes, 30 minutes off of that, and you're then in that deep space. Brilliant. Well, we're going to go ahead and put all that in the show notes. All right. Next chapter, chapter two, how energy builds matter. What is the essence of that chapter and how can energy build matter? Yeah, it seems really, um, really Mystical. amazing. Yeah, that energy can literally change matter. In the book, I talk quite a bit about a close friend of mine called Bill Bankston, and he's an energy healing uh, practitioner, but there have been something like uh, 12 randomized controlled trials of his work, and he puts his, he works with, with, with mice, these are most, mostly mouse experiments, and these mouse, mice have cancer, and he puts his hands over cages of mice, mice with cancer, and the cancer goes away in just a, a, a few days. So, really? Uh, well, yeah. Let's step back, and for those of our listeners and viewers who don't know what energy healing is, could you just do a quick primer on that, please? Sure. So we are beings of matter. We think of ourselves as being these physical bodies, and uh, that's what we, we think we are. 
and we're also being of energy. And uh, many technologies like uh, MRIs, they're measuring our magnetic fields. EEGs are measuring our body's electrical fields. And so we are beings of energy. Your heart has an electromagnetic field that extends about 15 feet away from your body. So when you approach another person and you're 30 feet away to these fields, you're having a field interaction with them. Uh, in some experiments I talk about in Mind Matter, for example, they took people who couldn't see each other and then one group went into heart coherence and then when they were uh, quite a long way from the person they were intending to influence, that person went into heart coherence at the same nanosecond. So uh, we are beings of energy. We're communicating in these energy ways and they're energy healing methods. Uh, the one I teach mostly is called EFT or emotional freedom techniques. It's focused on psychological change. There are also ones like Reiki, healing touch, therapeutic touch mm -hmm. that use uh, energy for physical symptoms and physical change. And energy is powerful. So there are always energy healing methods you can use. And so when you have a symptom or a disease or a diagnosis, you can approach it from the point of view of matter. You can try and change the matter. You can try and change the cells, change the biology, uh, do surgery, do pills. And, and those, those have a role in healing. And you can also approach it as an energy question. What, what is, is happening in my energy body that is producing this, this change in my physical body? And so I really recommend people check out energy healing as well as material level healing. And could you show a little demonstration of EFT? I'm extremely familiar with it, but it's not mainstream knowledge. Not even, it's not even as well known as Reiki is. So could you share a little bit about, you know, what EFT is, tapping, and also why does it work? What's the science behind it? EFT uses acupressure. So when you go to an acupuncturist, you have a needle inserted into a meridian. Energy flows in 14 meridians in the body. You can easily measure them. I use a device called a galvanometer in my live workshops, and I actually will have a volunteer come to the front of the room, and I'll literally use the galvanometer, and I can find their acupuncture points. They're, they're wow. physical points that are easy to, to find and measure on the body. They're not imaginary points. Um, so you have these energy flows, and what you can also do is stimulate them by touch, not needles. And so EFT uses tapping on the points like this. And what people do, like that colonel from Vietnam who had PTSD, he would remember the bad stuff that happened. Like one ex example that he described was as his very first solo. And he took off from the deck of an aircraft carrier. And as he was taking off, the engine of his plane caught fire. Mm -hmm. So here he is thinking about this, uh, the con control tower screaming, bail, bail. And uh, he's, as he thinks about this, he's at a 10 out of 10 emotional intensity. We have people rate their intensity from zero to, to, to a 10. So he's thinking about the, the voice saying, bail, bail, is a 10 out of 10, is totally triggered remembering this event from 40 years, years ago. And then he does the acupressure tapping while he does that. What happens then is that this sends a signal to his body that simply says, you're safe. Sends a signal directly to that part of the brain that handles emotional regulation. The hippocampus, the amygdala, the emotional midbrain, and that part of the brain in MRI research with EFT, it just calms down. It just immediately you start tapping these points. That emotionally triggered part of the brain goes quiet. Now he still remembers bail, bail. He still has that memory of that, but now his 10 out of 10 has gone down to a zero. And it's just a fact of life. It's something you just 
will tell you quite calmly he's no longer hitting that emotional intensity. So EFP uses acupressure to accompany your negative triggering thoughts and people just shift dramatically. We have a, a wonderful project called the Veterans Stress Project and we treat veterans with EFT through the Veterans Stress Project and um, we've done seven randomized controlled trials of various kinds of people with PTSD and all of those trials show that nine out of 10 people lose their symptoms. All those symptoms like anxiety. Those are incredible results. Flashbacks, yeah, just go away. And those are incredible results. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed. So is this something that's available to all veterans at this point? It's available to veterans in the VA because EFT is an approved therapy in the VA. And so uh, it's available to them. But for many, many years, it wasn't available through the VA. So we started the Veterans Stress Project. And uh, the first year, like 2007, you know, we wanted to hook up veterans with, uh, with, with therapists who did EFT. And the first year, it was just such a total failure. We, we, we had 12 veterans doing it the first year, and we had 12 therapists available to them. Now, you go to the Veteran Stress Project website, there are about 300 therapists there. Wow. We've treated over 20,000 veterans over wow. the last 12 years. And those are people who they've got their lives back. They have their phone numbers up there. They tell other veterans, go and get those six free sessions from the Veteran Stress Project. It makes a, a huge difference. So yeah, it is pretty widely available either outside the VA through the Stress Project or inside the VA. We're now working with the VA on something called a private-public partnership where uh, they will have people, for example, on their suicide helpline refer people to the, to the Veteran Stress Project so that they can get the help they need. And in this particular chapter, let's get back to that poor mouse with, or all the mice that had cancer, and with energy they were able to get healed. What is that magic in energy healing? How are we going from back to from energy to matter? And well, curing cancer. Yeah, curing cancer. So we, we, we can measure energy, and we can measure the fields around the body. And some of them are a little harder to measure, and some of them are very easy to measure. So, for example, the heart's field can be measured very very, very easily because it's a strong field. The brain's field is much, much weaker, but we can measure it with an MRI. And so these, are, these, these aren't mysterious energies. I mean, these are energies that you know, we, we, we have over a century now of, MR, of, uh, of EEGs and half a century of MRIs. These are very well understood phenomena. And so we have these energy fields. And uh, I think what, what the first guy to really, the first researcher to really put this on the map was a Yale professor called Harold Saxton Burr. I talk about him a lot in Mind to Matter. And in the 1940s, he'd been doing a lot of animal experiments with chickens and salamanders and their energy fields and shifting them and healing. Uh, but he did a, a large-scale research project with women. And some of these women had uterine cancer and others didn't. And he found that their energy signatures, their energy fields of the two women were completely different. In fact, if, if he was brought an energy field diagram of one of those women in the study, he could tell whether they had uterine cancer or not based purely on the energy flowing through their bodies. But not only that, he found that sometimes they had the energy signature of uterine cancer and they had no diagnosis. They'd been examined by a doctor and they definitely did not have uterine cancer, but here their energy fields show they did those women went on to develop uterine cancer. So in other words, it was showing up in the field mm. before it showed up in the body. 
And on the website of my nonprofit, NIAH, you'll find over 600 studies of using energy to heal various conditions, autoimmune diseases, cancer, uh, psoriasis, shingles, uh, headaches, all kinds of things. Uh, people use energy, energy healing. And usually it involves some kind of intention. It usually involves a certain state on the part of the healer. In the book, I talk about coherent mind. And people who have chaotic minds are usually much less effective at this. You have to calm yourself and be in this really, really profound state in which you're hooked up to non-local mind. Mm. And you're challenging it. You're channeling the energy of non-local mind into your local environment. You're directing it intentionally for healing toward a target, a human being, an animal, whatever it might be. And then uh, you're shifting the energy field and then, like that uterine cancer, there are many cancer stories in the book. And um, there are so many examples of people who just healed miraculously from cancer using those energy healing methods. All right, chapter three. How our emotions organize our environment. What is the essence of that chapter? Yeah, this is so interesting. And when I was reading the studies for this book, Rena, I was just blown away. When I began the book, the, the, way, the way the book got going was my wife is just a, a wonderful human being. And um, I just uh, feel so incredibly lucky to, to be married. I call her my angel wife. <laughs> and uh, she is just such a, I mean, she, she just walks into a room. Like we often, she doesn't speak in, during any, any of our, our workshops. She just walks into a room and everyone just feels good because she has such, such incredibly powerful, positive energy. And so uh, she, but she doesn't, she does it deliberately as well. Like when she's driving around in, in her car, she works as, as a teacher, she teaches art to kids and she puts CDs in the CD player of her car and she listens to the teachings of Abraham, Abraham Hicks. Mm. And that's just her, her spiritual nurturing. And so I'd be in her car every once in a while. She was driving, and I'd be in the car, and there'd be the CD playing, and there, Abraham Hicks is saying, thoughts create things. And I would think, oh, that's just a metaphysical fantasy. I'm a, I'm a scientific researcher. I, I don't think there's any validity in that. But maybe I wonder, well, you know, maybe thoughts, in some ways, obviously, if I think negatively, I am changing my hormones, my stress hormones, my, my brain waves, and so on. So I began to really delve into this, and I thought I, thought I would... I would look at all the links in the chain of evidence between a thought and a thing and see if I could prove scientifically that thoughts do become things. I, I, I thought I, I would actually probably not find all those links. I thought I'd find some links, but I'd, I'd find a broken chain. And in mind to matter, there are no broken links. <laughs> I was able to find the scientific evidence for every single step in the transition from a thought to a thing. It was just an amazing process. Could you so, give an example? Uh, yeah, uh, in, uh, there, is, there, are, there are so many examples in the book of people healing themselves, healing their relationships, healing, healing their relationship with money. Um, and one of the dramatic examples comes from my friend Beth Meisner, who's written a book now about her experience. So Beth was diagnosed last year with cancer. She found a large lump on top of her right breast. And when it was eventually measured, uh, it, had, it was about uh, five centimeters in, in, in diameter. So this is a really big lump, hard, hard cancer, hard cancerous mass. And it, when, when the doctors found it, she was given a variety of scans. The scans found that all of the lymph nodes under her right arm 
had filled up with cancer cells. And that's really bad news because your lymph, lymph system goes all around your body. It's like your blood flow. And when, when the cancer gets into, into the lymph nodes, it can travel all over the body. They also found three spots of inflammation on her right lung. So it looked as though the cancer was spreading and a very serious diagnosis. And she was being treated at MD Anderson Cancer Clinic, which is one of the top cancer yes. hospitals in the whole world. Mm -hmm. And when, it was the morning of the day when her doctor showed her the scan and showed her what, what her condition was. And her oncologist said, I want you in radiation mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. not, not tomorrow or next week. Mm -hmm. It's the morning. I want you in radiation this afternoon. It's that serious. And Beth said to her oncologist, who was very supportive of this, uh, said, you know, I don't want to make a, a rapid decision. I'm going to go home and I'm going to just do some processing around this before I, I elect treatment. So she went home, did some processing around her diagnosis and... Cue suspense music. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> She decided to try energy healing first. Now, this is really important because a lot of people go and they try Reiki and they try EFT and they try things after they have gone through an aggressive course of chemotherapy, and their, their immune system is really weak at that point. It's really hard to do energy healing with them. In fact, Bill Bengston, the guy with the cancer healing in mice, he actually won't work with people who've been through conventional treatment because their immune systems are often so badly compromised, he can't do much for them with energy healing. But anyway, Beth decided to, to do energy healing first. So she did, she absolutely tackled it with the determination that is her hallmark. She cleaned up her diet, which is pretty good, but she made it excellent after that diet. Her exercise routine, she improved that. She turned off all her alerts. She quit watching the news. Mm. She quit being involved in charitable work. She did a lot of it, but some of it was stressful. So she just resigned from all the boards she was a member, member of. She um, watched her thoughts, watched her energy. She did intensive Qigong. She emailed me and phoned me, and she said, I'm, I'm really scared. I just got a gene test, and I have eight defective genes that predispose me to breast cancer. And I said, well, Beth, you have 24,000 genes that are in perfect yes. shape. Let's yes. work with those. Yeah. We did some surrogate work with, with, with Beth. Christine was the, was, was the surrogate for my wife. Christine was the surrogate for Beth. We did some EFT tapping and visual imagining for her. Beth did Qigong intensively. She, had, she got energy work done to her. So all this powerful stuff of shifting energy and, uh, again, focusing on energy solutions to a material problem, tumor, lymph nodes, and and spots on the lung. So in March of last year, she got the diagnosis. By May of last year, the tumor had shrunk by about two thirds wow. and her lymph nodes were clear. By uh, August, her blood tests showed no trace Remarkable. of cancer. So that is the power of energy to heal the physical body. And that's why I'm so passionate about getting this stuff to people. You know, we, we talked earlier, uh, and, and I, I talked to Beth about a month ago about this, is that energy is powerful. Energy is healing. And people go so quickly to looking for material solutions and neglect the energy dimension of their problem. But often, that qigong, that EFT tapping, that energy work, can make a dramatic change to the physical body. The work of Harold Saxton Burr in the 40s with those women with uterine cancer shows, up, shows us that it's the energy that goes wrong first 
and then things show up in the physical body. So when you get that diagnosis, go to energy first. How can you shift and change and alter that energy in which your, your cells are being, are being formed? Each, each second, I show you in the book, each second, 810,000 new cells are born in your body. If they are being born in the energy environment of love and compassion and kindness and beauty and intelligence and wisdom and, and, and generosity, that is a very different energy field than one of fear and stress and anger and blame and resentment. So our, our emotions, in Chapter 3, I show how our emotions are literally turning genes off, turning genes on. In one EFP study, the researcher found that 72 genes were turned on by one hour of EFT. And those genes included genes for wow. uh, that fight breast cancer, prostate cancer, esophageal cancer, colon cancer. Uh, those genes were all being upregulated, dialed up. Uh, immune system genes were being dialed up. Genes that have to do with forming uh, the myelin sheaths around the white matter in your brain, the insulator around your neurons, which they need to have to conduct information through the axons. The, the white matter remodeling neurons, those genes were being turned on. Memory and learning genes were being turned on. Immunity genes were being turned on. Genes that help your body combat inflammation were being turned on. 72 genes turned on by one hour of an energy therapy, tapping on acupressure points, doing EFT. This is amazing. If I had a drug that could do all that, I would be a billionaire rather than holding bake sales to raise money for my nonprofit to do the research. You know, it's not a drug, it's free. It's just they're on the web, they're on my website. I mean, this stuff, it's amazing. It's available. And we want to make sure that the people know that they can use energy to heal matter. And that is why we're doing these interviews. That's the whole purpose of Healthier the Podcast is to give a voice to healers like yourself that have done the research, that have the proof. And this information, you are absolutely right, must get out to everyone. So if you're listening to this podcast or watching these interviews, please share. Every one of us knows someone who has cancer. There's just no question about it. And most of us know someone who's actually passed away of cancer. So please, you'll be doing something amazing today if you share this, share it on your social media or specifically with those people that you know could benefit the most. And I know we're talking about scary things like cancer, but... It can actually transform your life on a daily basis where it can get you out of depression. I actually think we need to start teaching teens that, but I think that's another podcast. I think the reason, Dawson, we don't have enough of this in our daily lives, the reason we don't first go to energy is because that's not how we're raised. We're told the first thing you do is you go to your doctor and your doctor will tell you what to do and you just blindly do what your doctor tells you. That was me until two years ago, right? So until the age of 45, I thought that's, how you healed yourself is you called the doctor and then the doctor did. And now what you're sharing, what I've learned is that, no, no, we heal ourselves. Healing is within and we can be reborn healthier within a year. Um, to your point, you can activate all those genes and you can be reborn. Every new cell can be reborn healthier, which is remarkable. What a great power to have inside of us. Yeah, I call that your everyday superpower in the book Mind to Matter. In the ah. book I call it your everyday superpower. You're literally able, with your consciousness, you're shifting neurotransmitters, you're shifting hormones, you're shifting genes, you're, you're remodeling your body based purely on thought alone. So you may as well wake up, orient yourself with positive energy, give your 810,000 new cells every being born every second, that loving energy field, nurturing energy field, and then live your life that way. When you do, you feel better. You're much healthier. In some of the research I talk about in the book, 
people measure a 400% improvement in productivity at work, a 260% improvement in problem-solving ability, and a doubling of creativity. These are just phenomenal wow. results. And again, they're just based on energy, shifting your energy. All right, chapter four, how energy regulates DNA and the cells of our bodies. What is the essence of that chapter? Actually, before we talk about that, I want to just mention one more thing about chapter three and one more important concept that uh, has an effect on a larger scale, and that is new research in a field called emotional contagion. And the model here is that our emotions are as contagious or can be as contagious as flu or contagious diseases. And when we feel an emotion, it doesn't stay contained within our mind and our body, it spreads to other people. In the famous Framingham Heart Study, which has been going on now for 50 years, the researchers find that happy people actually produce emotional contagion and happiness around them. Mm -hmm. If you have a friend who gets happier, you're likely to get happier and make people around you happier as well. So happiness is contagious three or four levels out. So is sadness and anger and negative emotions as well. In one famous experiment on Facebook, the researchers manipulated the feeds of Facebook users and they were able to produce emotional contagion in just a couple of weeks in 700,000 people, almost My 300 goodness. million people in Facebook uh, were unwitting victims of emotional contagion in this experiment. So we're affecting the world around us uh, radically by our own moods. When we heal ourselves, we're a healing influence in the world around us. That, that's the power of, uh, of what we have, what we can do with our own inner state. Remarkable. That's incredible. And what's interesting is that we intuitively know this, right? When you're hanging out with people and they're happy and cheerful, you get happier and more cheerful. And when you hear someone complaining and whining, you sort of see yourself slipping into complaining and whining as well. And so uh, there's, there was another study which said that you eventually become the same emotional state as the five of your closest friends. So choose wisely. <laughs> yeah, so choose your media wisely. Choose your yes. internet websites you visit yes. wisely. Use, choose everything, movie, mu uh, movies, music, websites. Yes, uh, yes. movies, yes. Yeah. Don't watch horror movies. I tell my teenagers all the time, stop putting that stuff in your, in your subconscious. Um, so how does energy regulate DNA? That's very powerful if we can influence our DNA. Yeah, and uh, there is a key paper which I talk about in that chapter, and it was a review, recent review of the scientific literature going back 50 years, and they found 175 studies showing that energy affects cells. They, certain frequencies trigger certain effects in cells. And in the book, what I focused on was the frequencies generated by the human brain. So there are a lot of frequencies that, that affect cells, but the ones I really honed in on in Mind to Matter were the frequencies that you can generate yourself endogenously with your brain and what they do to cells. And this research, Rena, is absolutely mind-blowing. The, uh, the research shows that some of the frequencies that your own brain generates, especially during meditation, are able to produce all kinds of changes 
in your cells. They can stimulate the formation of new nerve cells and new synapses, especially in the memory and learning centers of the brain. They can reduce the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. They can inhibit the growth of cancer cells. They can improve memory. They can synchronize the firing of neurons in different parts of the body. They can speed the healing of wounds. They can regenerate bone tissue. They can um, enhance the activity of your immune fighting, your immune system's white blood cells. They can regulate free radicals in your body. All of this done purely by the frequencies that you generate when you meditate. And I also have diagrams of the book showing EEGs of people who meditate. And what happens is that these healing frequencies, they're the two slowest frequencies in the EEG spectrum. They're called delta and theta. Uh, delta is very slow wave, one to four, zero to four cycles per second, and then theta is four to eight cycles per second. You see that they have a little bit of theta and delta when they start meditating, and they have huge theta and delta after, again, as little as 90 seconds. So in med those meditative states, you're literally stimulating the production of, of stem cells, you're regenerating the telomeres, the anti-aging molecules in your cells. All of this is going on when you meditate. It's just amazing how energy, especially the energy of your brain, is producing all these changes in the cells of your body. Now, uh, I also go and look at how it produces changes outside of your body. And here is where it's so cool. So water, this stuff over here, when a healer takes water and activates it, blesses it, energizes it, it literally changes the molecular structure of the water. I'm just looking right here to see if I have a, a, a little molecular model of a water molecule. I don't have one close by. But um, what happens is the, the, the angle of the bond between the big oxygen atom and the two hydrogens in H2O that bonding angle, when water is blessed, that bonding angle changes. And if you use that blessed water to water seeds, more of those seeds germinate in the blessed water than in the unblessed water, and the plants grow bigger and taller and have more chlorophyll in them than those watered with water that's not blessed. So again, the act of intention, the act of consciousness, the blessing is received by water it literally changes the molecular structure of water, and then that has biological effects around us as well. So as we change our consciousness, it is affecting things and matter inside our bodies and also outside of our bodies. And what we forget is that we are mostly water too. So if intention can change and transform a water molecule that's outside in glass, Imagine what it can do inside, because we are predominantly water. Right. So the, the, the power of blessing and that, that power of intention, of positive intention, I think is the most powerful field or tool or medicine that we know of uh, that we don't utilize enough of. That's right, yeah. And so like, it, it's, helped, it's made me change my habits. Now, I literally bless my food before I eat it. I bless my vitamins before I take them in the morning. And I just am aware of the power of intention to do that. And so uh, it makes you aware that we're having this effect all around us. And we may as well use that intentionally for our good. Absolutely. And even words like Louise Hay used to say, say, I love you. That just that much, just saying I love you, I think transforms again the molecules, the energy around and makes it more healing and more beautiful. It does. All right.
Chapter five, the power of the coherent mind. You mean there's a incoherent mind hiding in there somewhere? There's an incoherent mind and there's a coherent mind. And what I pondered in this chapter was why are some people such brilliant manifestors and others can't manifest anything? And I, I, I had a friend uh, years ago and she was a visionary. She just had amazing abilities to articulate the world and a better world and a great future for her and her kids and her life, except that none of it ever happened. Uh, she just was, she had, she had it all up here, but nothing ever happened in the external world out there. I have other friends and like, I, 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 I love my dear friend and mentor, Jack Canfield. And Jack, Jack, if Jack has an intention, it's going to happen. It's, it's just like, you know, it's, it, I mean, Jack, Jack Canfield, John Gray, Tony Robbins, all of these people, uh, they are master manifestors. What's the difference between the person who can't manifest and the person who does? And the answer turns out to be interesting. It has to do with coherence. And so coherence is when things are in phase, when things are resonant. And the example I use in the book is a laser and light. So if you take a regular light bulb, a regular LED or incandescent light, it, there's a bulb and say, say a 60-watt uh, bulb, it can illuminate, sheds, sheds light around 10, 15 feet away from it. But that, those light waves are scattered, they're, they're incoherent light. If you take that same 60 watts and you turn it coherent, where all the waves are resonant, that 60-watt laser can cut through a steel plate. Okay, that's the magic of coherence. And in the book, I have lots of illustrations, lots of, lots, of, lots of diagrams, lots of photographs, lots of medical images. And I have side by side the medical image of a person who comes up to an EEG who has incoherent brain waves. And the brain waves are all, all over the place. Then next to it, somebody in heart coherence, mental coherence, physical coherence, and their brain waves are highly regular. It's those regular brain waves, incoherence of those master meditators that are having an effect. If people have, don't have incoherence, coherent, that, that coherence mentally and emotionally, they are not then able to produce those results. And what they then find happens is synchronicity. The whole chapter focuses on synchronicity and the synchronicity is produced by these people who have coherent mental function. And they just find that when they intend things, they happen. I had a really funny one happened to me in the last month. And I, I, I've never met Tony Robbins. I've always wanted to meet him, you know, kind of had this vague wish. But about, about a year or two ago, I was thinking, oh, I'd just love to meet Tony Robbins in person. But uh, I've never been to one of his events, and I, I don't have any kind of contact with him. So about a month ago, I get an email saying, Tony Robbins would love you to speak at one of his live events. So I scratched my head and thought, well, is this a Tony Robbins event or is this Tony Robbins? <laughs> and and they, they emailed back and said, no, no, this is, you'll be on a panel with Tony Robbins and Michio Kaku, who's the father of string theory, one of the most famous yes. physicists yes. there is. Be me, Michio Kaku, and Tony Robbins on a panel at one oh, of his exciting. masterminds. So, again, I just had the thought there and, you know, I did nothing. I took no action whatsoever. And it just manifested. What's the difference? And the difference is mental coherence. If you're mentally coherent, you're able to make things happen. And in that book, I also talk about probably the most radical thing from a scientific standpoint in the entire book, which is that people in those states of mental coherence can affect the fundamental 
forces of the universe. There are four forces in physics. There are the strong and weak nuclear forces, gravity, and electromagnetism. Those are the four forces of physics. And I present research in the book showing that with mental coherence, people, no, not everybody, I mean, these are, these are highly trained, highly coherent people, but they can literally affect the electromagnetic force, they can affect gravity, and they can affect the strong and the weak nuclear forces. And it, this, is, this is radical. Consciousness is literally able to shift the four fundamental forces of physics. And I say that consciousness is the fifth force. It is the unifying force. It is the unifying field in which everything is happening. And there's a universal consciousness that is collapsing reality. It will be think of as material reality all the time. And you can be one with that non-local mind and then live, live your local life as a person in touch with that non-local emergent reality. And how can we get a coherent mind? How can we, we be aware of it and create that new reality for us? Meditation. Okay. It happens in that 90-second window, initially in eco-meditation, then in 30 seconds, then in 45, then in 20 seconds. So people are really quickly able to acquire that mental coherence. And also in, in mental coherence, what you're, what you're wanting to manifest is different. You aren't sitting there in coherence thinking, I want a red Ferrari. What you're doing is when you're in that state of, of oneness with the universe, you're moving with universal mind. And you might have really elevated feelings there. And you're then focused on the well-being of the planet. You're, you aren't trying to manifest uh, the next you know, ring or the next outfit or the next vacation. You are then one with this universal consciousness. And you, you, you want then, and you manifest what that universal consciousness is, is moving towards. All right, chapter six, in training self with synchronicity. How do we do that? Yeah, so we know now scientifically that all of this is the big picture. How do we then entrain ourselves that way? And that takes practice. It takes that meditation practice. It takes using EFT to tap away your stress. It takes time in nature. It takes kindness and compassion. It takes elevated emotion. It takes emotional regulation. So you put all of this together and suddenly synchronous things like the Tony Robbins story just start to happen to you. So you aren't trying so hard. Your life unfolds synchronously. You wake up in the morning, you meditate, and the universe just brings you all kinds of synchronicities. And things start to happen like the keys in the ocean over and over and over in your life. And then it becomes your new normal. It just becomes the way you live your life. You know you'll be led effortlessly to the people with whom you're supposed to play and sing and dance in your life. Carl Jung noticed synchronicity. Einstein noticed synchronicity. Einstein said synchronicity is God's way of remaining anonymous. <laughs> but you can train yourself deliberately and then you start to have those types of synchronous experiences over and over and over. Now, one of the interesting things about this is when you are in that state of coherence, you have abilities that you don't normally have. One of those is precognition. Uh, precognition is a really interesting field of study, and there have been over 100 studies, tightly controlled trials of, of precognition, and they show that there is a thing such as knowing or having some sense of the future. And mm -hmm. so I, I review that, that research, and it's so interesting that people have these experiences of deja vu, mm -hmm. of knowing, and research shows that it's not the occasional person this happens to 
that this happens to lots and lots and lots of people. They have these experiences like telepathy, clairvoyance, we call these anomalous experiences in research, but they aren't anomalous. Um, most people have them. Chinese people have them. Japanese people have them. Yes. Argentinians have them. Americans have them. Mexicans have them. Canadians have them. People from all over the world have them. About two-thirds of people have some kind of out-of-body experience or precognitive or clairvoyant experience. These are just natural human experiences. They are not the anomalies we, we think they are. But what I also do in the book is I provide a really clear scientific explanation for the why, why this works. And the why has to do with the planet we live on. Earth is a giant electromagnet. There's a North Pole and a South Pole. We use a compass to find our way around. And so we know there's a North Pole and a South Pole. But like any magnet, there are field lines of flux around the planet. And these field lines have been measured now by geologists for around a century. They've, they've, they've known about these lines. Uh, they predicted these lines before they even found them. And so there are these huge lines that are called the field lines. And as the solar wind blows past the Earth at about 2 million miles an hour, um, it actually plucks these field lines like strings on a guitar or a violin. So it sets up a resonant frequency in these field lines. And there are several known frequencies that scientists study in the field line resonances of the Earth. And in like the, at the end of that chapter, I have one diagram from a scientific study that I think is one of the most stunning pieces of research and, and evidence ever shown. It is the heart coherence rate of a meditator for one month overlaid over the fluctuations of the Earth's field line resonances for that one month. And in those 30 days, they track each other closely. My goodness. So when you're in tune like that, when you're in heart coherence, when you're a meditator, you're literally in tune with these solar system-sized energy fields that are around you. That provides the first really solid scientific evidence for things like distant effects, distant healing. Because if you're in tune with these, these patterns, you're in tune with everyone else's in tune with them as well. And that's the huge insight I had one day. I mean, I had so many aha moments when I was writing the book and looking at the research, but that was, that was the big one. That when you're in tune with non-local mind, when you're in tune with non-local fields, non-local reality, you're literally in tune with everyone else who's in tune with that. So those synchronous things, that, that's when Tony Robbins you know, gets in touch with you and says, come be on my panel. So, <laughs> so you can create your own reality, right? You're, you are creating your own reality. You absolutely can. And in a positive way, because I think we're all stumbling into our realities because we're not necessarily controlling it mindfully. Right. And with your tools and techniques, you're empowering us all to take charge and hence create a far more beautiful picture. And, you know, imagine the power of waking up in the morning and saying, what experience would I like to have today? I'm going to think of it, to your point. I, I think I want to be on the Tony Robbins show, or I think I want to go meet with him. And bam, there comes the call because you are in sync and you have now uh, developed that power, that superpower of making life happen to you the way you want it to happen to you instead of stumbling into it. And you're very careful about what you think about. Christine and I, my wife and I, are very careful about what we talk about, what we think about, what we say we want, because we can manifest stuff. But, you know, if we're manifesting from the level of our local mind 
or out of fear, then that will not be our highest good. So we're very, very careful to tune into the highest good before we seek to want anything. All right, next chapter, chapter seven, thinking from beyond local mind. What is the local mind and why do we want to think beyond it? People who buy the book often think that this is a book about how to manifest, mind to matter, you know, <laughs> thoughts to things. How do you do that? My live course is called Turning Thoughts to Things. And so people say, well, you know, I, I, I want my soulmate. I want to live in Santa Barbara. I want to have that job with Amazon. I want, you know, they, they, they want all these things and they're looking for ways to manipulate the world energetically and, and magically to get them. And that's not what this is all about. That's thinking from local mind. That's staying stuck in your local reality. But most of us do that. We wake up in the morning. We have this thought about the same thing we thought about yesterday. We see our bodies the same way, our jobs the same way, our partners the same way, our children, our parents, our whole world. We are literally recreating the world using our consciousness the same way every day. And what I urge people to do is unstick themselves from that process, to release themselves from this feverish attachment to their local reality and merge, blend with that same force that keeps four million starlings flowing in an effortless dance of connection in that flock. That, that, lets, that, that tells the humpback whales how to migrate mm. from uh, the equator to the pole every year. All of these processes are happening in nature. I challenge people and say, do you think you're exempt? They're happening for you too. Why not tune into them? And so we teach people, we train people to manifest not out of their conditioning, out of this limited human self that they are. Sure, you can manifest the red Ferrari if you want to. But will it make you happy? Probably won't. Instead, tune into non-local mind. Be one with that universal consciousness. And then have your dreams come from there. Have your desires come from there. Desire what non-local mind has for you. And that is infinitely more elevated, infinitely more precious, infinitely more full of love and kindness and beauty and sweetness than anything your little local mind over here can dream up. So that's where the book ends, with this call to that. And, and the afterword of the book, after that, that seventh chapter, I say, imagine a world in which we're doing this in large numbers. My goal, Rena, this might, might seem like a totally sky-high ambition. My goal is that a billion people wake up in this way. And uh, everything I do is motivated to that. I, I do the science because it helps convince people to make these changes in their lives. What happens when even 100,000 people begin living this way? And I talk about the Renaissance, how the Renaissance didn't take 200 years. The Renaissance took about... Mm -hmm. 25 years, mm -hmm. involved about 1,000 people in five cities in Italy. Yeah. And after those 1,000 people and the 25 years in those, that very limited geographical area, suddenly law changed, architecture changed, art changed, education changed, music changed, philosophy changed, ed education changed. Everything changed radically in 25 years. Now we're in the middle of one of those huge evolutionary leaps in consciousness. And so what in the afterword of the book I say, what will the world look like when everyone is, has access to this and many people are there on a daily basis? It's worth conjuring with that vision. And it would be an absolutely beautiful planet and a beautiful universe to live in. You're something called the Maharishi effect, of course, which was uh, yes. proven that if you got enough people to, yes. to think a certain way, you could 
raise the stock market and prevent accidents. And I think you're taking that same experiment on a 1 billion people scale and saying, you know, what could we do with, could we create utopia? And it's absolutely something worth fighting for. And I'm with you. I will do whatever needs to be done to help you get your message out so we can get to that billion number that you'd like to reach. I think you, and for those of you who are listening in or watching, what can you do? You know, let's all join and do this together. Let's create a far more beautiful, happier, joyful, love-filled world. And it can be done like that, as Tony Robbins says. I actually went to his Unleash the Power Within, and he says, you know, like that. It doesn't take time. It doesn't take forever. You just have to make a decision, and that's step one. So any parting advice for those who are listening or, or watching? What is the one thing you wish everybody would do starting now? Love yourself. Just love yourself. When I work with people in my live workshops, because I teach those things workshops, I teach EFT workshops, I teach professional workshops, I train a ton of therapists and doctors and nurses and medical professionals every year as well. And um, they typically, I'll have someone up front of the room and I'll work with them uh, while the rest of the room is working on their own issues. So I'll be working with somebody up front and they'll tell me their story. And Rena, one of the things that just hurts me, I, I feel so, so bad about is people's self-talk inside their heads. They are so full of um, unhealthy self-talk, unhealthy messages toward themselves. And so they, they describe their, their problems to me. And I, I just think that they're, they're, they're suffering so much. And their suffering really moves me. And so uh, the, the, the big message is just love yourself however you are. Whatever gender you are, whatever your financial situation, whatever your body is like, whatever your level of sickness and health, let go of the struggle between those parts of your psyche that are telling you you have to improve. With EFT, we don't use it as self-improvement. We uh, just use self-acceptance because mm -hmm. self-improvement begins with self-acceptance. People are beating up on themselves and trying to force themselves and saying, you need to lose weight, you need to quit smoking, you need to modify your diet, you need to go and look for a better job, you need to change, you need to shape up, you need to transform this part of your life that's not working. And we're hard on ourselves that way. And we have a lot of negative self-talk. And with EFT, we just tell people to breathe and just love yourself. Love yourself. You are trying your hardest and your best. And you have been for your whole life. Love yourself. Accept yourself. So that's really what we teach people is forget self-improvement. Just go for the self-acceptance. Because when you do that, you're no longer having that struggle within. And that liberates all of that power for self-improvement. So paradoxically, you give up self-improvement, do self-acceptance, and the self-improvement happens as a byproduct. So the, my main message is just live in love every day. Live outrageously, love extravagantly. That's my, my mo mo motto. I love it. That's what it made, made, made for me. Uh, so, so, uh, someone said to me, if you had to say four words on a billboard to the whole world, what would they be? And that was those four wor words. It was live exuberantly, love extravagantly. And why not just live from that standpoint of love and compassion and joy? Why not be, be, be like a child playing every, every day? So, uh, <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much again from the bottom of my heart for spreading your message, for sharing your, your brilliant insights and, and your stories. And for the rest of you, love yourself. And if you're having a hard time figuring out why you can't love yourself, but there's a ton of resources available. We're going to be putting some links in the show notes, of course. You can access the book. There'll be a link to purchase this book as well as a lot of the other great books that Dawson has written. And with that said, stay smiling, as I always say. Love yourself and 
I'll see you on another podcast. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.